Am I switched on? Can you hear me, everyone, at the back? Excellent. Good. Let me just clear a couple of these hosting paraphernalia that's been left up here. That wasn't pointed. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Tom, uh, and I'm one of the elders here at Christ Church. That's really exciting to say because um, Rob, Rob and I have only been prayed in uh, literally about a month, so... Um, in terms of an introduction, yes, I'm married to Sarah. We've got three uh, lovely children, and we've lived in Hailsham for 10 years ago. And uh, we've been part of the church here for that sort of similar length of time. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be here this morning and to bring God's word to you. We are going to be looking at the compassion of Jesus. So as a church, we've been spending time looking at the uniqueness of Jesus. That's our series. And this morning... We're going to be looking at the compassion of Jesus, that Jesus loves the lost and the rejected and the marginalised, the left out, even the hated by society, and that as God's people, we mustn't snub people for how they appear or behave, but love them as Christ loves them, pointing them to him who came to save the lost. And we're going to be spending time in Luke chapter 15, so if you've got your Bibles Uh, or you've got your Bible on your phone. I won't think you're on Facebook or Twitter, honestly, because we live in that world now. So just open up to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. So as I was preparing for the compassion of Jesus, I got a little bit overwhelmed because actually the compassion of Jesus and the compassion of God runs right the way through the Bible like a stick of rock. So frankly, where do you start and where do you stop? Um, So I went for a bit of a walk to clear my head. We live near the marshes, and there's a particular fallen tree which uh, I sit out to think about. And as I got there... Um, it sounds like I'm making it up, but there was a sheep curled up inside the log. And as I got closer, um, it was completely blind. It couldn't see, uh, and it was lost. And the the shepherd had obviously come and taken all the other sheep away, and there was this one lost, blind sheep, exactly where I was going to sit to think about what God had to say. My Bible flopped open to the parable of the lost sheep. So that's not a brilliant way to see what to preach on, but I did feel like God put this on my heart. As we've not been in Luke as a church, let's just spend a little bit of time making sure we know where we are. So we're at Luke chapter 15. So Jesus, if we have a look, we've got a map. I have to do a map with every preach. I have to. So Jesus has started up the north there near the Sea of Galilee, and he's doing that big meandering string line down to Jerusalem where he's going to face his death. And we are here where the Red Star is, somewhere between Galilee and Jerusalem on his journey to his death. So by this point, he's got the 12 disciples, he's appointed them and sent them out. He's fed the 5,000, but he's not yet reached Jerusalem. And there's a series of things that take place. He is speaking to villages, towns, small, small places, so rural, agrarian, poor people, really. Uh, They are at the poor end of the spectrum. In chapter 15, he'd just been talking about the the, the banquet in heaven that everybody is now invited to. And the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him. And the final words in, in chapter 14 are, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's significant. And after this parable, he talks about the lost coin and the prodigal son. So let's, let's start, shall we? Let's read chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners 
and eats with them. So Jesus is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners, and he was enjoying their company, and he was eating with them, and he was accepting them. So who were the tax collectors, and why were they so hated? Let's have a look at the next slide. This is a tax collector. So he, you can see he's dressed like a Jew, and behind him are the Roman guards, because the money would normally have been going to the Roman Empire. They were a symbol of the Roman rule to the Jewish people, and so as the Jews were expecting a Messiah to overthrow the Romans, the idea of a tax collector enforcing their financial systems was, was hated. So if you think of in, in World War II, you hear the stories of in the ghettos, some Jews were assigned to be guards by the Nazis to enforce the Nazi rule over their brothers and sisters, and they were particularly despised. It's not quite as emotionally poignant as that, but you would have had a, a Jewish person that would have been really hated by any other Jew for his role with the Roman Empire. And what do we mean by sinners? They would either have been too poor or too badly educated to have um, given the right sacrifices at the temple, or they just decided not to. So these people would have been immoral, they would have been outcasts, and they, they, importantly, they would not have been part of the acceptable Jewish society. The dregs, they were at the bottom, and they were the last to benefit from anything. But these are the people that are drawing near to Jesus. And Jesus, instead of sending them away to sort their life out, he receives them and he eats with them, listening to them and talking to them. You have the king of the universe sitting with the rejected and sinful members of society, sharing food with them and talking to them and receiving them. Isn't this just the most wonderful picture? It says that they were all drawing near to him. So all the sinners and all the tax collectors in that area had come to him. And what had Jesus just said before? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this group of despondents had heard Jesus and responded to him by drawing closer. So if you imagine the, the crowds around Jesus, the ones that were closest to him, the ones most desperate for him, and the ones most eager to hear what he had to say are the most spiritually unclean, socially rejected, morally corrupt people in the whole area. There is so much for us to learn about Jesus from this verse. Jesus listens to you. He hears your cry. He sees your heart. He is not distant, but he looks on you with compassion. And he wants you to draw close to him. It's a fantastic picture of the compassion of Jesus as we look at this text. So the second group of people, we've got the sinners, the tax collectors, and then we've got the Pharisees and the scribes. Let's have a picture of the Pharisees. That is a, that's not a photograph. That's an artist's imagining of what the Pharisees would have been doing. And I think they're even grumbling in that photo. I think they're sort of saying, what are you doing? They're sort of grumbling with him. Um, but the next one is an actual photograph of, I, I don't know, Owen can correct me on this, I don't know if they still are Pharisees, but they're strict Jews. Um, I didn't, you know, let's not humiliate him, so I blocked out his face. But they were the uh, group of Jews that followed very strict standards of living, and they were also waiting for the coming Messiah. They were the leaders, and they were doing everything God could possibly have asked them to do, they thought, to live a holy life. 
and they were waiting for God to reward him, reward them. So, you know, they were, that's where they were as, as a people. They followed every law and every code and every oral tradition to the 10th degree. They thought they were the most holy, the most righteous of all the Jews. And they would have demanded and been held in a high social regard and status as such. The scribes were the lawyers who were experts on the law and they knew every little detail. They thought they were holy and righteous before God because they thought they were upholding the law. But they were not. No one was. No one can. God was looking at their heart, not their outward appearance. So it says what's happening here is that they're grumbling. Jesus is receiving sinners and eating with them. Jesus is mingling and the holy men are grumbling about it. In other words, what are you, what are you doing, Jesus? You're spending time with the wrong people. Can't you see we are the ones that are holy? Can't you see we are doing everything possible to live a righteous life? You're ignoring us and you're spending time with them. They're not in the club. We're in the club. Their incredulity at Jesus' actions underlines truly the most wonderful aspect of God's love, that although ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, morally impure, socially rejected, Jesus loved them. He accepted them. He received them. He had compassion on them, and he had fellowship and friendship with them. We must not resist being gracious to people, but rather demonstrate the compassion of Jesus to the least among us. We must avoid at all cost the tendency to think that because of how good we are, that God wants to spend time with us. This is false. God wants to spend time with you because he loves you and he forgives you. Do you ever feel like you're not in the club? You're not in the in crowd. You're not in the clique. You're not in the group or the social circle. C.S. Lewis calls it the inner ring, a group that you are not part of in any walk of life that you find, whether you are at work or going to the gym. There's always a group that you're just not in. Have you heard those moments in life where you, you know that because you're different, you're not being included. You don't dress right or you don't say the right words. You're not clean enough. You're not pure enough. You're not good enough. Maybe you're not smart enough or rich enough or special enough. Maybe you're not sober enough. My friends, Jesus wants you to draw near to him and he will receive you for who you are. In fact, that is the only way to God, to draw near to Jesus, to hear his words and spend time in his presence. There's, there's nothing about your outward appearance, your clothes, your skin colour, how good you've been this week. It will never make any difference to how much God loves you. We will, he wants us to simply come. 
dressed as you are, as sinful as you are. Don't try and clean yourself up. You can't. It won't work. It only makes it worse. Imagine trying to rub paint off a white t-shirt with hands covered in paint and a dirty cloth. You can't do it. There's nothing of yourself that is clean. You're only going to make it worse. Just come to him who makes you clean. It's simple. Come to him who receives you. Come to him who accepts you. Come to him who is calling you. Come to him who is longing for you. We heard Anna Fry share last week, if I've done my dates right, I think it was last week, that was a long time ago now, the story of the leper. Would you go near someone and, and touch them when they've got a contagious disease? One apt picture in the middle of a global pandemic. But Jesus moved out of compassion, touched him and healed him. It's beautiful. He wasn't excluded. He was accepted. Sometimes we're excluded because we've made bad choices in our life. The world says, it's your own fault, mate. You've lost everything. You did it to yourself. Tough luck. But I believe Jesus would want to tell you that he can make the bad things in your life work out for good, even though you're responsible for them and it's your fault. I believe God can restore that. Can we have a quick look at the, the next slide, mate? So this is, you've probably seen this before, it's the Japanese art of kintsugi. And basically, they restore broken things with precious metals to make something more beautiful. If this bowl was never broken, it wouldn't have had a chance to look so beautiful. Jesus can restore your life and mend your heart and forgive your mistakes even if the world can't. And that's how God's grace works. It makes your broken life look more beautiful than it ever has been or ever could have been. And I get excited about it because I see it in my own life. I look back at the last 10, 15, 20 years and I look at the way that God has filled the cracks, restored it, shaped a vessel that is so much more beautiful through all of my human, rubbish, awful, awful mistakes, God makes something so beautiful. We should probably talk about the parable, shouldn't we? So, in response to this grumbling and the revelation of God's love for the lowest of society, Jesus tells a story. And let's look at the parable together. So we're going to go to chapter 15 again, verse 3. So he told them in response this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus sends home his point. 
we've got the picture of the grumbling and the, and the receiving of the sinners, and Jesus addresses them and says this parable. He's demonstrating to the world already that he's there to save sinners, but the religious people, just, they just can't get it, and they don't like it, frankly. Nor would I if I had to wear those clothes and live that life. I'd probably be quite cross as well if I'd spend my whole life expecting to be pure and holy. Turns out, finds out I was completely wrong. So Jesus tells them this story to show them where the party is. Now the shepherd who represents Jesus, he leaves his flock in safety and he goes after one sheep until he finds it. Did you notice that? Until he finds it. Now I am terrible at looking for things. My daughter has unfortunately inherited this gene. She is equally as terrible. She's utterly unaware of what I'm saying about her right now. <laughs> but it's unbelievable how something can, something can be completely and unequivocally be, unequivocably be, <laughs> unequivocally be lost. And then when Sarah comes along, it's right there. Right in the middle of where it should be. It's just there, right? Sometimes the Marmite vanishes. Like, it's borderline spiritual oppression. It just, it's just gone. And then it's in the cupboard. She opens the cupboard and the Marmite's there. I, don't, I just don't get it because five minutes ago, the, the Marmite was not there. One time I lost my glasses for a whole week. So I had a whole week of squinting. Um, and I eventually found them in my bedside drawer where I keep them. <laughs> but another time I lost them for several days only to find them next to the margarine in the fridge. So <laughs> it was quite bizarre. I'm, I think Sarah's trying to convince me I'm going mad. She's just she's listening up there, but I think she's just moving things around to make me think I'm going crazy. But the more important something is, the harder that one looks for it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's demonstrating how much God loves sinners. He's showing to the disbelief of some that he's very, very interested in hanging out with the losers. These people didn't just fail to get picked in sports at school. Do you remember that feeling when the captains are the best sportsmen and you're last to be picked? They got failed to get picked for life by their friends. My fellow Jews, they're just left at the sidelines, forgotten about. Now, this was brand new information to everyone present. The sinners were used to people telling them that they were far off from God. And the Pharisees would have told them to clean up their act before they come near. But here we have the Messiah, God in the form of man, seeking out sinners rubbing shoulders with them, laughing with them, mingling with them, accepting them. He has compassion for them. So he stops his story and at the end of the parable addresses the crowds. He looks around at the sinners and the tax collectors, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says to them this in verse 7, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven than over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So to the person on the outside, to the person not in the club, the person who never seems to get fully accepted, 
the person with no friends, the person with no family, the person who's burned all his bridges, the person who's wandered off and got lost. Maybe you've been marginalised because you've messed up your marriage or you've broken your relationships because of addictions. Maybe you're marginalised marginalized because you identify with the LGBTQ plus community and you feel like you're never going to be fully accepted. Jesus says this, that your life, that your soul is so valued, it is worth so much to God, it is so unique and so special and so utterly irreplaceable that just one sinner repenting makes heaven erupt in praise and thanksgiving. And get this, Jesus wants you on his team. You are literally his first pick. He wants to transform your life for the better through the power of his Holy Spirit and use your life for the glory of God. He wants you. All those guys and girls who seem like they've got their stuff together, he's less interested in them. He is more interested in you. We live in a world where atheism leads to nihilism, leads to depression. I'm just space dust, destined to die. But we can see from the rejoicing over one sinner, one soul, bearing in mind in heaven, I don't understand the theology of this, it's already at maximum joy, right? I mean, how can heaven be more joyful? But it is over one sinner. So you're far from space dust. You are uniquely made in God's image and he cares so deeply for you that if you let him, he will pick up your tired body and lay you on his shoulders and carry you back home to a great party. On the cross, your sin and shame are crucified and in their place, you are given eternal life to be with your father in heaven. If you feel like God is stirring that message inside your heart this morning, there will be an opportunity to respond to God at the end where I will pray for you. But as a church, how do we respond to this text? How can we model Jesus? Who can we receive into our houses and eat with that causes people to say, this man is eating with so-and-so? Tom Wright says in his commentary on this text, the real challenge of these parables for today's church is this. What would we have to do in the visible public world if we were to make people ask the questions to which stories like these are the answer? What might today's Christians do that would make people ask, why are you doing something like that? And give us the chance to tell stories about finding something that was lost. Who is it? that offends us with speech or smell or lifestyle or views on sexuality, race or gender. And I, I don't just mean outside the church. When we are saved, some things Jesus deals with instantaneously and other things take time for the Holy Spirit to transform. So we must be gracious with people with any perceived problems of sin because we're all being transformed from one degree of glory to another, which is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 
How? By showing them the compassion of Jesus and receiving them as they are and allowing God to transform them through his love for them. We must not grumble at the grace of God in other people's lives. Finally, to those who feel lost, hear these words. There is more joy in heaven over one man who repents than over 99 righteous. Come, repent to him today. Let him carry you to the party. So I'm going to say a prayer of repentance. And if you want to say it too, say it in your heart with me. Lord Jesus, I know I have done wrong before you and there is nothing I can do to fix it. I know that I have made mistakes and hurt people and frankly, Lord, I've made a bit of a mess of my life. Please forgive me for all the wrong in my life and I choose to trust that you love me and care for me. Amen. Let me know if you prayed that. I'd love to chat further, but we'll close now with communion as a church so let's take this time to repent and accept that we all need to draw near to him that he in his grace and his mercy accepts who we are and transforms us through the power of his holy spirit into people who are more and more like him thank you worship band